John chapter 1, as we continue, this is part 2 of our John series. The text we're going to be looking at this morning are verses 6 through 13. John chapter 1, verses 6 through 13, if you've all found your places. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, the opportunity you give us to be here, to praise you. Father, for it's an opportunity you give us to praise you. Father, may we with our hearts open them. Father, may your power stir in our hearts. May we see the truth, the light, that you give in the face of Jesus Christ. May your power be done, and may your will be done, and may all glory be to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So up until now, we have seen with the Gospel of John, we're still in the introduction. Uh, there's a prologue from verses 1 through 18. One of the things that John will immediately do is establish the deity of Jesus Christ. In just chapter 1, John gives seven titles to Jesus. The titles are the Word, the Light, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, and the Son of Man. We saw last week that he started with that Jesus is the Word. In verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he introduces Jesus as the Word, and he introduces Jesus as pre-eternal, that he is God, that he was with God, and in the same, verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So not only do we see Jesus as far as his, he is the pre-existent Word, he is God the Word, and he is the Creator. His word is of the creation. There is nothing that is made that we see that was not made by Jesus. In verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I don't know if we got to talk about it, but Jesus also, he is the self-existent one. No one created Jesus. Jesus has always been. He's always been the Son of God and the Trinity. And the light, verse 5, shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So and now we're into our verse 6. The thing that we also need to remember as we go through John is remember the purpose that John wrote this. He told us the purpose was that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have eternal life. That's John chapter 20, verse 31. That's his whole purpose of writing. The text which we have now before us, he goes from talking about Jesus as the Word of God. Now he is going to restart referring to Jesus as the light. He's the, the second title that we see. But 
as we also read through the word of God, we get this sense that there is something required of the readers. There is a response from you as you read the word of God. The intention of this is here is Jesus. Here is who he is. Now what's your response? What does God ask for? He asks for faith. That's what God asks for. Faith in his son. Repentance of your sins and faith in his son. And we see throughout all the word of God and even in time throughout time, there's only two responses that are ever made to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's rejection and exception. That's it. There's no in between. I'm going to say this many times this morning, but I want you to think about this. There are a million ways to reject Christ, but there's only one way to receive him. That's what the word of God teaches us. We see over and over all the excuses for rejecting Christ. We see it in our world today. Many who hear me are, have an excuse that they're holding on to themselves for rejecting him. There's a thousand, there's a million excuses to reject him. That's a response. But there's only one way to receive him. That's also a response. So we are told to respond to the word of God. We are told to respond to the record which John bore of Jesus, the son of God, full of grace and truth. They handled the word of life. This is the son of God. This is God. He is the power and the authority to forgive you of your sins. He is the lamb that was slain for the sacrifice and the penalty of your sin against God. He is the one who has rose again the third day. He is the one who has ascended into heaven forevermore. That he is our priest after the order of Melchizedek. He, his priesthood is continual. There is no uh, dying. Jesus was buried, he rose again the third day, and it said that he has risen to die no more. One day we're all going to raise from the grave to die no more. Jesus was the first fruit of the resurrection. I said this. Jesus, now there... We, we, see, we have accounts of Jesus going around and bringing people to life, don't we? Uh, Lazarus. We even saw Paul do that. We see the apostles do that. But all of those people had something in common. After Jesus rose them from the grave, they had to die again. But Jesus' resurrection and the resurrection which we're going to have, his resurrection was he rose up to die no more. He's alive forevermore. There'll be no more death. And so that is Jesus. That is the first fruits. He's our pioneer of salvation, isn't he? He's our captain of salvation. He has trailed the blade, or he's blazed the trail for us. So the response to the world is reception or rejection. And now we are abruptly introduced to this man called John the Baptist in verse 6. There was a man sent from, uh, from God whose name was John. So after we see John, the Apostle John, now John's not talking about himself here, he's talking about John the Baptist, and actually look at verse, well, let's read the verse 8. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So let's talk about John the Baptist for a little bit this morning. John the Baptist's role as prophesied in the Old Testament some 700 years 
before this took place. Think about that, 700 years. That's almost three times the age of America. Between 700 years it's been since Isaiah made that prophecy about John the Baptist and about Jesus. He made the prophecy that there would be a forerunner to Jesus. There would be a herald. There would be one who would say, make straight the past. Actually, Isaiah 43, you don't have to turn there. He says, there's a voice of him in that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight the, in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain, shall, uh, every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough place is plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 3, he directly calls John the Baptist this man, this man that it was prophesied of being the forerunner of Christ. Matthew chapter 3, verse 3, he says, This is he, meaning John the Baptist, that was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. First, we see that the word of God confirms that John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Secondly, John the Baptist, there's several reasons, there's several ways the word confirms John the Baptist as the Lord's herald. John the Baptist was a miracle baby himself. Uh, look with me in Luke chapter 1. Now, Luke chapter 1 is the longest chapter in the New Testament. There's 80 verses in Luke chapter 1. I don't think we're going to read them all uh, this morning, but uh, maybe we'll read some more next week. But there's an interesting tie-in here with John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, you all know they were cousins. John the Baptist was cousins with Jesus. Well, look at verse... 7, well, look, I'm sorry, look at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, that's the priesthood. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and that and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, that means Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And that is the, the angel Gabriel had come down. Well, in verse 19, he tells us that's who he is. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel. 
that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. We're going to read more from Luke chapter 1. Don't worry. But this is the second way it's confirmed that John the Baptist was indeed the forerunner of the Messiah as prophesied. That John the Baptist was a miracle baby. He was born from Elizabeth who were well stricken in years. Third, Gabriel told Zechariah that, that his son uh, would, would herald the Messiah. And we, we read that. Fourth, we see the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah to prophesy concerning John as the Lord's herald. Look at verse 67 of chapter 1. This is after John the Baptist is born. Chapter 1, verse 67. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. He's talking about John the Baptist. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. We see that is another way that is confirmed that John the Baptist um, was the forerunner. You know, one of the things that I love, uh, it's not, in our text, but I don't want to skip over it, about how, uh, let's see, where is it? So, Gabriel had visited Elizabeth, verse 24 of chapter 1, and she hid away for five months. And then the sixth month, Gabriel went to visit Mary. In verse 26, uh, God, uh, he, God was sent, or God sent Gabriel unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at, the, at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, 
who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And I love this part. And, angel, uh, and Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Elizabeth has a song. Mary has a song. Zacharias has a song. that The Holy Spirit was just inspiring them to sing. But I love, that is really the relationship that we have between John the Baptist and Jesus. That's it right there in a nutshell. When John the Baptist heard Mary's voice and knew that Jesus, <laughs> he leapt in Elizabeth's womb. And that's what John is doing. He's six months older. He's leaping up. He's the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he is leaping and he is proclaiming and he's witnessing that here comes the Messiah. Here comes the Son of God. Here comes the one who would save his people from his sins. What an event. I mean, think about this. I mean, it's been 400 years, the silence, you know, between Malachi. Uh, they called John the Baptist the, the first true prophet since Malachi. Those 400 years of just nothing. And then 700 years before then, and all of a sudden, within six months of each other, you have the forerunner being born, uh, John the Baptist, and then you have Jesus being born of Nazareth. So, John the Baptist, we know that it said that, that he would have the spirit and the power of Elijah. John the Baptist was bold. He was a bold preacher. And we see that he confronted crowds. His aim was that all men through him might believe. John the Baptist preached repentance. He, he says, oh, generation of vipers. He, he's talking to the religious crowd. We know John went baptizing. and He was preparing the way of the Lord. Uh, and he called out the religious you know, professionals of the day, oh, generation of vipers, who has warned you from the wrath to come? John only baptized those who had repented of their sins and believed. He didn't baptize anybody to repent of their sins and believe. Or to be saved, he baptized people who had already confessed, had already had that work of God in their hearts. Those who had fruits meet for repentance. Now, that's the gospel message. Repent and believe. Now, I got thinking about this. Repentance is the fear of danger. It's feeling your own sins that you have committed against God and you have an overwhelming sense of danger. That's repentance. You'll never repent. You'll never believe. You'll never have true faith. You'll never be saved unless you have the sense of danger first. You have to be saved from something. Believing on Jesus Christ is not just, it's not a novelty. It's not an option. On you, you check on your life insurance or your afterlife insurance, right? It is a sense, when I repent, I feel the danger of God's wrath. That's the godly sorrow. Faith is when you turn to Jesus to save you. 
from that danger. Salvation is a relief. Y'all get that? Faith in Jesus Christ, when you have felt the weight and the danger of your sin before an all-holy God, and He's convicting you and condemning you in your heart, when you turn to Christ in faith, you're turning as to grab on to Him as the only one who can save you, the only one who has safety. Jesus is the only safety from God's wrath. So there's relief. There's sudden relief. There's sudden peace because you believe the Lord Jesus Christ is your personal sin. You believe that he has saved you, that you, your sins are forgiven, that the wrath of God will not abide upon you. That was the message John the Baptist preached. That was boldness. I mean, John the Baptist was bold. You're talking about the spirit of Elijah. Elijah confronted kings. John the Baptist confronted King Herod. He said, it's not lawful for you to be having your brother's wife. And we know the story there that it cost John the Baptist his head. John the Baptist's message was bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. John the Baptist caused a big ruckus in Judea. Um, his number one job was that all men through him might believe. If you come back with me, chapter 1. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men might, through him, there's, there's that phrase, that all men through him might believe. That was John's first goal. Now remember, John is the agent. Jesus is the object. John is the agent that brings the message. We are the messengers of the gospel. We are the agents that bring the message. The object of the faith should be in, in Jesus Christ. And so that was his number one objective. Number two, his, num his number two objective was to bear witness of Jesus. John was careful not to exalt himself. He was the witness of the light. The light is used 13 times in John. Now think about what light is compared to darkness or the nature of light. Darkness is the absence of light. Light is a positive force. For there to be light, there must be a light source. There is no darkness source. Darkness is the absence of light. And that's the way God made it. And if you think about that, I mean, that's just remarkable. When you think that light is a positive source, Jesus said that he is the life. That, the, the light. And that's what it says in verse 8. He was not that light, but was sent bear witness of that light. Now let's read here that that was the true light. Jesus is a light, which ling with lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Um, John the Baptist's followers came to him. Actually, turn over to John chapter 3 with me. And... John chapter 3, verse 27. So John the Baptist, you know, he had followers and those who came to him. And they say, John, uh, Jesus is over there and, and they're baptizing more than you are. What's going on? Uh, you know, John had established this ministry and everything. But what did John answer? John three twenty-seven. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. 
Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Did you all catch that? I, it's, it's, I love that. When, when you go to a wedding and you're one of the groomsmen, the wedding's not about you. <laughs> the wedding's about the bride and the groom. And the groom is Christ. The bride is his church, his saved, whatever your view is on that, but it's his redeemed. It's those whom he died for. And that's what John the Baptist is saying. I'm just a friend of the, of the groom. And when I hear the groom's voice, all I can do is just rejoice and be glad that his will is being fulfilled and Jesus is accomplishing what he's accomplishing. No man ever should take credit for what God does. Never. Never. The, the wedding is not about us. It's about him and, and his, then who he died for, his inheritance. All those the Father gave to him shall come to him. It's all about that. It's about that beautiful wedding. Um, verse 30, John says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. It's not about me. It's about him. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthy, that speaketh, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony, uh, sorry, I was looking ahead. He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. There were, uh, in John, there were a total of eight witnesses that John gives us of Jesus, that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. First, the first witness was John the Baptist. John the Baptist bared witness that this was the Son of God. The second one was the Father in chapter 5, verse 37. And Jesus says, the Father himself has borne me witness. Uh, and the third one is Jesus' own words. He says, I am the one that bears witness in chapter 8, verse 18. Jesus' work bore witness of him. He says, the works that I do, they bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. The scriptures bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. He says in chapter 5, verse 39, Search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify, testify of me. Remember, bearing witness, testifying. Uh, and this word, witness, it's a legal term. Your official, your official statement. It's a courtroom. Uh, as your witness, you've submitted this as truth. So we, uh, the next witness is the people uh, that Jesus had ran into, the, the Samaritans, his disciples, and even the Holy Spirit bears Jesus' witness that he is the Son of God because the Holy Comforter testifies that he is. Uh, John the Baptist was called the Baptist because he baptized. He was sent of God to baptize and that people would believe upon him, upon Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9 through 11. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. The first part we see here is the rejection. The second part that we're going to see in verse 12 through 13 is the receiving of Jesus. The first one we see is the rejection. Jesus being the light is not just theologically true, that he brings illumination, he is the source of all light, but it's also symbolically true, that men will dwell, men dwell in darkness, they dwell in spiritual darkness, they do not have a concept of God, they don't have a concept of life in the light of eternity, while in darkness, but Jesus is that true light, which cometh, and it says, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Um, John the Baptist had to come to bear witness of the light because men were in darkness. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, talks about the blindness. With blindness there's darkness. He says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Paul goes on to say, in whom the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them which believe not. Those who reject him are blinded. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, something that every believer has in common is we were once unbelievers. That's something we all have in common that we all once were in darkness, that we didn't understand the concepts of, of God. And you've heard the term, I've seen the light, I've seen the light. What that means is the things that were previously a mystery to you are now revealed. You see them. And God is the one who brings light. I do not think it's a coincidence that John started with the account of creation. Because if you remember, he says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Well, that sounds a lot like Genesis. What happened in Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And what, did, what happened at creation? There was darkness upon the face of the deep. There was darkness. What did God do? He commanded, let there be light. And there was light. And this is the true light. So we all were in darkness and God has commanded there to be light in your heart. That's actually a beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, do I have time? Okay, you, you don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6. For God, now remember this, take it home and think about this. This is amazing. For God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's not a coincidence that there was darkness and then God said, let there be light. Because that's exactly what happens to us when there's darkness and it's God. And that's what it says here, verse 13, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God has commanded light to shine in your heart because it was dark. And only God can do that work. This is a light of his truth. Now, when it says that this was the true light in verse 9, which lighteth every man, there's a lot of interpretations about that. Uh, some say, well, it means those who have come to know the Lord 
that's who God, uh, that's where the light shines upon them. But that's not, in verse 9, that is, I don't believe he's talking about that. I don't believe he's talking about the saints in verse 9 when he says every man. First of all, that every man in the Greek is pas. It means all. It means everybody. It doesn't mean anthropos. He's not saying every man of mankind. He's not saying every saint, hagios. Because we know in the New Testament, the saints of the Lord are called hagios when they're referenced. This is every single person, everybody who has come into the world. This is the teaching. You have enough light to know that you are rejecting further light. That's what that means. It's a general revelation. In Romans chapter 1, it teaches us, all of us have a general revelation of God, whether it's through creation, whether it's the inward law, where you feel guilt, and you know that that guilt has to go to someone. You weren't taught guilt. You weren't taught right and wrong. I mean, to a degree, but it's intuitive. Well, you owe that guilt. You, you owe that, that transgression. So the idea, it means that you have enough light to know that there's more light in him, but we deliberately refuse him. We deliberately refuse him. That was the condemnation. Why do people reject Jesus Christ? Turn with me to John chapter 3. You all know this verse. John chapter 3. Look at verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. You know, at the end of the day, it's your deeds against God. You may feel like you have an excuse. You may feel like there's events in your life that may justify you for doing what you're doing. But ultimately, what you're doing is against God. And here's the thing. We have enough light to know where there's more light. But we don't want the light because we don't want to be wrong. That's it. You don't want to be wrong. Instead of in humility and heartbreak coming before God saying, Lord, I have spent so much time just miserable and in pain and agony, just you know, digging in my heels and just hate embitterment, and not enjoying the Lord, not enjoying the fellowship of the Lord, not enjoying the Spirit. And, and the, the, what you're supposed to be doing as God's people is putting your eyes on others' needs, not on your condition. Ultimately, we come to Him understanding, Lord, in submission, Lord, you can take what's wrong and make it right with me. It starts in our own hearts. It starts in our own hearts. You're, we're only hurting ourselves. And we convince ourselves we're right and the behavior we're taking is right or what we're doing is right. 
and this. The thing is, is that is the condition of man, of all mankind, is they do not want to go to the light lest their deeds be reproved. Because they don't want to be wrong. They want to be right. So, back in our verse, God has given enough light to all of mankind that we understand that there's more light in him. But we don't want to go to him because we love our darkness. That's why people reject Christ. That's it, right there. They, they'd rather have their best life now. And honestly, to receive Christ as your personal Savior and to live in peace, that's a best life now. <laughs> I don't think uh, the, uh, the, the deceitfulness of sin out there is a best life now. I don't think alcoholism and then uh, going and being a drunk driver or, or going, losing your children or, or pornography or things that they're just stripped. I don't think that's a best life now. A lot of people think, oh, if I can just sin, that's my best life now. That's not your best life now. Sin is a counterfeit. Oh, it promises in gold, but it pays off in just misery and pain. The world, and that's what it says here, this, you know, in the, despite the world rejecting Jesus Christ, we know that there are a million ways to reject Jesus Christ, but one way to receive him. And we know the millions of ways that are out there. We see it throughout the word of God. I mean, it spends a lot of time talking about those who are just at a mental ascent or acknowledge that Jesus was a prophet. They acknowledge who he was. They even believe that what he said is true. But they do not, just like the, the rich young ruler, he did not want to forsake the things of this life to follow Christ. He didn't want to surrender those things. He did not have the true light of the knowledge of him. Jesus is that light. So, but everyone... Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day will come. But God has a people, and I'll, I'll do this quickly. Verse 12, but, there's that conjunction. This is a drastic difference. He's just talking about those who rejected him, but look as many as received him. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. That word received, it just explodes in beauty uh, with the Greek. That means to take hold of, to grasp, to accept something offered, to not reject. And it gets on to the idea I was talking about earlier, that we sent, we sense that Danger in repentance. When God is working godly sorrow, we feel the fear of the Lord. We feel that, Lord, save me, or I will go to hell. I will be condemned. I, I don't know what God's wrath is going to feel like, but I, I don't want that. I'm escaping for my life. So what do you do when you are in the worst danger of your life? You're looking to grasp safety. And that's what that word is, to take hold of. Jesus is our safety. Only Jesus is our safety from the wrath of God. That's it. Everything else, God will pour out his anger and his wrath. And we already have a taste of his anger and wrath just in the sin curse that we see. That there's misery in it. There's sorrow in it. 
And this last verse we will pick up next week, but it gives us the sovereign grace of God, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Aren't you thankful that God has done his work of salvation, that he redeemed his people? And I was in darkness, and I was not searching for God. Oh, but God found me. He knew me before the foundation of the world. He had designated the day that I would come to him. Oh, he worked a work in me and my heart. I turned him not away. I received him. And as many as you who receive him today, you hear his voice, and he's calling you today, to you he will give to be the power of the sons of God, all those who believe upon his name. What does God require of you? He requires that you believe upon him. And that's it. That's it. You repent of your sins. You turn to him in full faith. God said, look ye all the ends of the world and be saved. For I am God and there is none else. Everything else is dark. There's only one light, and that's him. I pray that you're settled in your heart. If you were to die the day, that you know you'd go to heaven. And if not, uh, I ask you, if you, come find me, and we can talk this out, and no one will ever embarrass you. But your soul, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Would you, is there anything worth it? Is there anything that you would give in exchange for? Jesus said that. Think about your eternal soul. It will go on to live forever. Jesus has provided salvation. Eternal life for your soul. That's the message. You either reject it, you can have a thousand excuses, but it's still rejection. Or you can receive it. That's the message today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your eternal word. Father, as Brother Henry Huddleston the other day, Lord, we see that his end of days are coming. But I saw hope in his eyes that he was going to be with you very soon. And that he will be in an endless day with you in the glory which you give us to be with you. Father, what love. What misery we were in before you came and you saved us. You gave us life. You gave us joy. You gave us purpose. We can go to the bed in peace. We can have peace about our loved ones who are now with you in glory. It's, not, it's just a short time, Father, that you've given us to be here. Father, faith is believing without us seeing. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you will help our faith, encourage it, strengthen it. For the saints who are here today, Father, who are going through a dark December, Father, may you just shed your light in their hearts. May they see the glory of you in the face of Christ. May they be encouraged. Father, those, who, Lord, who are going through heartache or troubles, Father, you know each need. Lord, and we know, Father, that they just come to you in faith, surrendered faith, believing faith. Father, not only will they be saved, but there will be peace in your arms. Father, we pray for each one here who has a need. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, please.